Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the Internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking athlete monitoring with West Virginia University's Dr. Guy Hornsby. After a quick intro, guys, Doc's going to get right into it. He's going to talk about you know, the program that they're building up there in West Virginia and, and how it's kind of started and evolving and the directions he sees it going. We're then going to get into, you know, ways that he sees the coaches can start and do kind of a, a better job with less when it comes to some of the monitoring things they do and talk about some decision-making ideas that he has when it comes to training, looking at periodization versus daily tracking and things of that nature. And then, guys, we get right into his grad program and the things that they have going on up there when it comes to mentoring and, and coaching at high school levels and things of that nature. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doc, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, hey, so listen, Doc, so for the person and a half that doesn't know how you got up there to, to Mountaineer land, let, mm -hmm. let's give them the quick... Cliff Notes version of uh, where you are, where you're at, and how you got yourself there. Okay, yeah. Um, so 
going way back, I, uh, I was lucky enough to, to run into Dr. Mike Stone and Meg Stone uh, the year before they got to ETSU, before they got to East Tennessee State, and uh, I managed to be able to follow them there. And so their first year at ETSU was my first year. Um, I was a thrower for Meg. I was, uh, uh, Dr. Stone did my, did my weight program. He was my strength coach. After that, um, I really was still just interested in being a strength coach. That was the big reason why I went there to begin with. And um, I continued as an athlete, as, uh, as a weightlifter, and uh, did my thesis and, and eventually my, my doctorate there. For about the five or so years of grad school, I was sort of that, that sports scientist slash strength conditioning coach role. Um, after I, I finished up at ETSU, I bounced around a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, not much of that was planned. Uh, I actually went back, I went into academia initially, and then I went, uh, decided I'd miss coaching. And so I got back into uh, coaching with the military. I, I worked part of the Thor 3 program uh, at 160th store at Fort Campbell. Then I ended up at VCU for a year. Then my wife, who was two years, uh, when I finished my doctorate, she was two years away from finishing med school. She finished med school, got placed at Western University for residency and kind of fast forward a little bit, I was able to find a home here um, at WVU in athletic coaching education. I'm in my third year here. That's awesome how that got to work out. And you guys are doing some really cool stuff up there uh, at West Virginia. So let's talk about some of those programs that you're building and, and how you're looking at monitoring and tracking athletes in that sense. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things that I've enjoyed since I've been here is that I, I think this is really the first place I've been since ETSU where I felt really at home in terms of uh, getting to work with, with students who want to be strength coaches and coaches and some are interested in sports science. And so um, kind of early on, uh, just kind of trying to build a couple things within our program, more specific probably to strength and conditioning uh, in terms of I oversee so SNC minor, um, and then trying to build up an aspect of our grad program that we might talk about later. But about a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years now, actually, I, I had done some work with some of the strength coaches, and we actually have um, some strength coaches in our academic program. We have a we have two GAs right now, um, and we have one uh, Tanner Cobb, who's a strength coach with wrestling and men's soccer, a couple other sports. He's a part-time doc student. Um, so I started doing some stuff with, actually it was Beth Byron at uh, volleyball. We did vertical jump testing via force plate testing. And uh, probably just a couple months after that, because that was, yeah, that was for camp. And uh, I ran into a fella who we got to talking. We had a mutual friend. He w he's active, active duty Air Force. And, you know, you introduce yourselves, tell people what you do. And he said, oh, I, something to the effect of like, I... I, uh, I, I monitor uh, performance and, and monitor like fatigue and injuries in uh, military. Like, that's, that's really interesting. Who do, you know, who, do you, who do you work with? Where do you work? And he said, oh, I, I work at Wright-Patterson Wright um, at the AFRL there, the Air Force Research Lab. And so that led me to uh, eventually talking to Josh Hagen, Dr. Hagen. Um, and at the time, it started out actually as a, uh, he's, he was at Wright Pat and he was working with Ohio State athletics with some sports and then several Cincinnati sports. Uh, 
providing technologies and helping with data collection and analysis and, and making recommendations and, and also um, kind of introducing various uh, recovery technologies and devices. And so the early on discussions were how can we introduce that uh, here? And, and, and one of the big reasons why he they were doing the work at the time with, with kind of the uh, remote situation was you know, military are more, probably more like athletes than general population, particularly like special operations that train really, really hard. And so, you know, we want they wanted to be able to collect data on on athletes in more controlled settings and, um, and you know, coaching and training environments. And so from there, that led to we I mean, we had several meetings and discussions and, and uh, got uh, an MOU signed with uh, athletics and met with athletic directors. And then about a couple months into that, he called me and he said, I've accepted a job at WVU. And so that was incredibly exciting. Uh, that led to, uh, so he's housed in what's called the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute. Um, he's building up the, the kind of performance science area there. He's, he literally pretty much has the entire second floor is being turned into a performance slash recovery lab. Uh, it actually should be pretty much completed. The flooring's all done. The offices are in. Um, I'm lucky enough to have, we have a, a doc student in our program, Mike DeLong, who is um, funded through Josh. So he, he works for Josh full time and kind of is heading up, uh, I'd say, athlete monitoring with, with Olympic sports. And um, yeah, I think it's the February 7th. Sornex is coming in and finishing up the, the putting in the power racks and, and all that stuff. I love it, and I especially love the fact that you got, well, you had, unfortunately, an awesome coach like Beth Byron getting involved in it. Yeah, we, we have been um, really, really lucky with, um, you know, to, to do this work. Uh, I think there are some unique things about uh, how it's, the, the, the R&I, I think, is kind of unique, and that situation is unique, but no matter if it's sports science is kind of being pushed within athletics, whether it's relationships from academia, I mean, anybody that's done this stuff knows that communication and relationships are so important, and and um, also just kind of a mutual understanding and appreciation of all the different sides and things that go into it, and so... Um, Several of the strength coaches have been have been great to work with so far. I, I kind of hesitate to say like, um, here are all the great things we're doing because we're still so early into it. Um, but yeah, several several coaches have kind of preliminary scheduling of when when laboratory testing is going to take place. Several teams have been um, doing like daily 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 to uh, you know, probably weekly types of testing, whether it's wellness questionnaires or vertical jump assessment, that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, it, 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 you, need, you, you need that. You can bring all the devices and technology and, and the building and lab, but if you don't have, have the coach part, then, then uh, you're missing probably the most important part. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that when we look at Really, one of the primary complaints when you hear from coaches talking about the academic side, it's always that that kind of fake idea of, well, it's only a bunch of untrained subjects. Well, now you guys are working with, I mean, like, if you've got the soccer team in there, that's the best team in the country. Like, mm -hmm. you've got, like, borderline elite-level athletes that you're able to collect data on. So now, I mean, that, that excuse is kind of crap. Yeah, well, I, I think a couple things. You know, I think that one, 
Um, th there is tons of data on well-trained athletes, and that that is certainly helpful for us to make not just I mean not just athlete monitoring type decisions, but even just training and coaching decisions. And then um, I think that. Uh, if you're doing a good job with athlete monitoring, oftentimes you can use that data. I mean, I've heard some people say something effective like the, the, the population is your team. You know, uh, that, that, that takes some time, I think, to have that approach of like we have years and years and years of, of good data showing like this is what athletes are doing. This is how they're responding. This is how they're changing over time. Um, but, but then also, yes, certainly um, we appreciate being able to, to collect data on really, really uh, skilled athletes, and um, yeah, several several teams are perennial, you know, national uh, level uh, teams. Yeah, and I think that what's great is that, again, another thing that people have issues with, and B-Man and I talk about this all the time, is how that there's like this dissociation between academia and, uh, and athletics when really academia wants to be more involved in athletics because finding these things and making these moves is is better and more fun like for for people that want to actually do the work yeah I, I think that there's there's several really important things and I also think that there are several kind of interesting aspects to it depending on on where you look at I think that you know not one not every single, university or college has uh, someone that is interested in sports science or trained and educated in, in that area. Um, sometimes you might have some some scientists that could be very, very helpful, but they're, you know, they kind of have the issue of they need to bring in grants or they need to publish a certain amount. And, and certainly something that, you know, we very much appreciate the opportunity to collect data through like an athlete monitoring program. And there can certainly be some publishable opportunities. But I would say that if you're talking just straight athletic, athlete monitoring, it's 99% service and 1% and research. And in my experience anyway, I mean, I, for, I was involved with athlete monitoring for a good probably seven years or so at ETSU. And I think maybe one, one poster, maybe, maybe two posters. Every, all the other papers came from uh, kind of more – uh, planned out very much. This this is a project, um, and uh, something else I'm seeing is that some athletic departments are hiring their own sports scientists, and I think that that is a, a, I think there's maybe pros and cons with that. Uh, I think that there might be something to that sort of outside person in in the academic world. Um, you you know you you deal with some of the typical. You don't want to have somebody being pulled in two different directions. You don't want to have the coach or strength coach have a scientist forced upon them. Um, and, and, I, and I think, and this is very much my introduction to sort of being on the ground floor of something. I mean, when I was at ETSU, I was so young and, and just kind of there when everything was getting off the ground before I got really heavily involved in things. Everything was kind of established by then. Um, but I very much look at sports science through a coaching lens, and I think that that's really, really important to do, um, at least to have some people that think of it that way uh, when it comes to offering sports science to, to your teams. 
A thousand percent. And I think, though, that even more piggybacking on what you're saying when it comes to departments having their sport scientist, Mm -hmm. I think that that's a term that's kind of been bastardized a little bit because people call a sport scientist someone who just runs GPS. I don't think that's necessarily, like, valid. No, and I think, I think, I mean, in that scenario, like if you have someone that just does GPS, um, not to say the GPS can't be beneficial, but um, I, I think that the, the first things you start with are, um, and this can kind of get into monitoring and kind of the more the weeds of it a little bit, like what questions do you want answered? What are you, you know, in terms of what's your training plan, you know, long-term plan, what uh, what ways are you going about quantifying your training? What types of periodic assessment and measurements and the you know what type of feedback is, is is given? I mean that that is a sort of a, a full-on process. And I think that you know Andy Fry said it quite well when he presented it in a CA a couple years ago on this topic of like you don't want technology to be what drives you know the I don't even like saying the word market, but you get the idea. You know, this this team has this, this team has this. Um, so we we want this, and then okay, well we need someone to run it because we don't have anyone that can do that or has the time to. Um, you know, those are those might be scientific projects and maybe scientific endeavors. Uh, maybe a paper can come out of it, but yeah, that's I don't think that that's like real integrated sports science. No, a thousand percent. And I think that that whole idea of like the arms race when it comes to recruiting and this and that has really blown that out of proportion. And I think that there's all too often too many of these machines and devices that end up just getting stuck in the bottom of somebody's desk or in the back of some closet because they just got it or we just got it or someone else just got it just because somebody else had it and to tell some kid that maybe was going to think about playing a sport there that, yeah, we have access to that too. It just grows, you know, by about an eighth of an inch a year in dust. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly uh, I know several people that, that uh, can speak to this better than I can and see it more up close and personal, but yeah, it's definitely, you can be used as a recruiting tool. Um, and, and I think that, you know, a couple of things I've seen. One is that, uh, coach wants to use some sort of device and so they they do that but they don't completely understand it and and oftentimes even even with like gps even if you have a full-time person that has great experience has a really good training and education behind him or her like if the coach can't communicate with that person well regards to the gps data it doesn't help them make better decisions it doesn't help them um, better understand what they're doing if it, it probably is just going to be more confusing <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in starting small you know a coach wants a couple hundred thousand dollar uh, GPS system uh, have they have they done session RPE yet you know have they done some of the the more boring things in Excel um, are we doing uh, volume load in, in the weight room and keeping track of that um, there are a whole bunch of really valuable old school things that um, some of them might even be better than the technology. Um, and I, I think that those types of things, not only is it better to just start small for a whole bunch of reasons, but then also I think there's a learning piece to that, an appreciation to that. And so 
Um, it gets really important conversations going with the coaches. Um, and, and the other thing that I'm, I'm seeing a lot now of people, I, in my opinion, getting a little bit lost is so much, uh, so much focus on the, uh, you know, I don't know, acute monitoring, let, let's call it like the sort of just very, very fatigue based monitoring not saying that there isn't a good place for that in tracking and monitoring fatigue more closely versus, you know, looking at RFD at the end of every training block. Um, but this sort of, oh, they're tired, we need to back off. Um, that, that very quickly to me gets into programming, you know, sets, reps, intensity, load, all that stuff. And, um, you know, one, if you're going to make a change, how do you know you're making a change to something that is better? Um, and then also there's so many more considerations than just fatigue. Certainly it's part of it. And, you know, we should start with the, well, this is what we're doing right now. So we would expect a certain amount of fatigue, a certain response based on the athlete's background, um, what they're doing and what they did in training the last several blocks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but even something from the standpoint of like, I don't know, the power output, right? So, uh, I coach weightlifters and, I had an athlete, a weightlifter, uh, want to, is, you know, this, we've all had this conversation. They want to go heavier than the relative intensity, uh, says on the sheet. And she said, you know, I, I feel really good today. And she very well may have. Um, and even if there was a measurement to, to, su to support that or a questionnaire to support that in that situation, um, the goal, the, the goal was, well, the bar is going to move faster. Power output's going to be greater. Um, and so I think that we're, we're sometimes getting lost with this ultra focus on fatigue and sort of just like, okay, well, they're, they're rested so they can do a little bit more. Oh, we, we, you know, we've, now they're a little bit more fatigued than we want, so we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back down. And the acute fatigue monitoring can be very valuable. At the same time, I think that it's too often either too much of the focus or the sole focus, I would say, even sometimes to where we're getting away from the big picture of like, does is our program working? Are they, you know, are, are our athletes developing? And I know that this more sort of, I start to put my strength and conditioning and coaching hat on when, when I talk about this, but it's like, you know, as a, as a coach, if we're talking about these, these athletes have been under uh, my care for several years, do the juniors and seniors, do they, do they look different? Are they, are they better developed than the, than the ones that have just gotten on campus? And, you know, certainly NCAA calendar, provides lots of hurdles, often uh, practice and a whole bunch of other things get, get in the way. And, you know, depending on the school you're at, summer breaks and winter breaks. And there's a whole bunch of hurdles for and reasons why some athletes don't develop like we might like them to. Um, but I think that the, the bigger picture monitoring is incredibly important and it can be very helpful, one, to help us know what is happening with the big picture, but then also uh, opens up those conversations, opportunities to discuss with the coaches and with everyone. Uh, you know, these these athletes are, are, are progressing. These athletes aren't. And I think that, you know, that is very training process driven. And um, in, in my personal opinion, I, I think that we we are too often losing sight of that when it comes to some of the developments in sports science more recently. Physically, I could not agree with anything you said more, and I want to jump back into it and throw a couple more thoughts in with that because I think that the other thing when people look at these monitoring systems is they want to look at this, that, and a third with all this stuff, but they're not willing to change anything. Like, if you're not willing to take a step back and go, oh, shit, maybe I'm wrong, like, 
don't spend the money. Like, yeah. like straight up. And I think, too, the problem people have with when you're looking at fatigue-based monitoring, and I'm assuming you're talking about things like HRV and, and those sort of things, like understanding the difference between trainability and readiness and understanding the ability of an athlete to actually produce outputs when maybe they're not necessarily ready to adapt that day and understanding too like what stresses are like I don't know about you but like if I'm in a high stress situation and somebody tells me I can't train I might go to prison because I might punch him in the face like understanding where these kids are and what's actually going to help them become better in that situation is even more important you know because like you were saying like that that conversation like yeah kids fatigue but what if they're kicking ass in the warm-up and now all of a sudden it's like, dude, you want to go? Let's go. Or yeah. if it says they're ready and they suck in the warm-up, maybe that's a day where are like, hey, Johnny, go get a freaking milk and take a nap. Yeah, I think that um, there's a couple of things that one is who hasn't experienced um, a day where, uh, you know, let's say you've been building within a block and this is supposed to be a pretty heavy day and school school load is, has, has been a bit much you're maybe dealing with some social stuff I mean um, I have mostly like you worked with college athletes so we're talking 18 to 22 year olds we know what those lives can be like um, you know you're you're stressed out they're they're, they're tired um, warm-ups may actually not feel good you know man I I just did about 40 percent of what I'm supposed to go up to today and it felt bad but you still worked up to what you were supposed to do and it went really well. Um, that that can happen. And I think that an important question to ask when it comes to the more programming manipulation is how do we know that what we're going to change it to is better? And if we change it too often, uh, you know, one, one of the things I think is interestingly gets lost in sort of the world of like whether it's fluid periodization or uh, auto-regulatory, whatever you want to call it, is some of the most, some of the oldest, we'll call it auto-reg uh, training, is, you know, ranges for intensity. Like today is 80 to 85, and we within that we'll, we'll use some, some, some coaching and some, some athlete feedback, and, you know, we'll weigh like, well, this kid's a freshman, and so their feedback probably matters a little less than the junior or senior that has been through our program, knows our program, knows how to train. Um, and so, you know, we, we have windows in which we can manipulate that are, can, can be pre-planned. It doesn't mean, you know, a plan doesn't necessarily have to be some sort of stagnant thing that we can't move move within. I think that we can you know, we can do that. We can plan uh Mod you know modification opportunities in it and I mean ranges is some for intensity is something that's been around for forever um, and then also thinking about you know if, if we have a, a block of training and whether it's a, a three to one loading paradigm you know strength base where we raise the intensity for, for a couple weeks and have a deload um, putting thought into is this athlete if we if we start changing things too much, perhaps, will we not get to where we ended up wanting to be? I, I very much understand, like, well, 
maybe this is a point of, of caution where if we try to do that, we're being too stubborn and we're not, um, you know, doing what we need to do to best take care of the athlete. I honestly actually think that that's not as common as maybe some people think. Um, I, pro- I think probably the more obvious, like, I'm the strength coach and I'm going to have to make a change with this session. And uh, even though I really don't want to, it's not part of the plan is the, the example that most strength coaches at some point have faced where uh, this is what we we're going to do today. And we thought either what well, there wasn't going to be practice or it was going to be a walkthrough and they just had their t- tongues hanging out for, for two hours and they come into the weight room really beat up. You know, you probably don't need a wellness questionnaire to, to hear about it, to know about it. Uh, they'll probably be telling you pretty quickly. They might have just come from the field, and you can you can tell that they didn't come fresh from the from the locker room. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you might have to play play damage control there. Um, but I think that if if we if we do need to make programming modifications, it's so much better to start with. First, real big picture, what's the periodization plan? Then within our programming, if we're going to make changes, how can we best maintain our predetermined goals that we already had? Um, And I think that that is a really good guide for when we do, if we feel we need to make a change. Because, you know, things things happen, uh, whether it's... uh, injury or overuse something and we got to adapt to the situation but i think when we we all when we think of monitoring more from a training process long-term plan lens versus starting with the monitoring i think it actually helps us make better monitoring and coaching decisions um and i think that's where we kind of need to start with couldn't agree more especially if like if you're sitting there and you're going to have a deload week, isn't the goal to have them tired by that deload week? I mean, I yeah, I mean it's, it's 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 basic, you know, whether it's general adaptation syndrome or supercompensation model, stimulus fatigue recovery adaptation, pick whatever uh, basic concept you want. Um, but there, you know, and and that that gets into probably even beyond just the being a little bit too overreactive with monitoring is the not having having a plan first um it should always start with the plan i mean i i know that some some sports scientists are sometimes put in situations where uh you know you're they're given data they have to collect data and they haven't been able to i'm I'm kind of picturing more like either consulting situations or like just the, you mentioned like kind of a only sole GPS person. Um, How can you make recommendations? I mean, I think it's pretty rare that athletes get to the point of overreached either for so long or overreached so bad you might actually worry about overtraining. And so if, if, if that isn't just jumping out at you, you know, some, some of the stuff that, you know, where, where Bill Sands talks about like statistical process control and um, other people have done good work in that area. But um, if it's not the extreme stuff, we're like this, this is a health safety issue. We gotta, we gotta do something. Um, if it's not that, and you don't know the plan, how can you make recommendations? Um, okay. RFD is down. Well, was it a strength endurance block? 
are they pretty well trained? You know, uh, and and to, to add to knowing the plan would be the the background of the athlete. You know, you have a beginner that's never lifted weights before. I mean, we have some 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 sports that that tends to be more the case than others. Um, they could do sets of ten, and RFD goes up, and power output goes up if they're well trained. That wouldn't happen um, most likely, and so. You know, putting all of those coaching caveats around everything um, to help to help make not just I wouldn't even say make decisions, but just provide the type of feedback that is most uh, helpful for the coaches and strength coaches. And and something something that I think about a lot is a good understanding of monitoring. Um, really, I think helps us put together a better plan. Right, because when we're when we're thinking about putting together a plan, it is um, we're starting we're, we're we're essentially sequencing over longer periods of time um, what are our goals and what order should they be in your our, our, our uh, uh, adaptation objectives uh, and and then from there we get into the program to try to to drive that periodization plan, make those adaptations uh, be brought about and all the different physiological responses that go along with it and performance changes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so really understanding this is what I want to happen here. This is what I want to happen here. This is what I want to happen here. I think that to, to, to do a good job in terms of athlete monitoring, we need to be able to do that. And certainly that sort of gl more global understanding can allow us, I think, to put together a better training plan. Yes, 100%. And I love that. And I think that all of these things boil down to the fact that you have to understand what you're doing, when you're doing, how you're doing it, and, and those sort of things, which leads right into what you were hinting at before. And that is an interesting opportunity for coaches to I mean, not really get their feet wet and figure out how to swim with the sharks with the program that you're running up there at West Virginia. Yeah, so um, I would say that um, let's see, we between uh, volleyball and gymnastics, which is run by a new coach, new strength coach, uh, Caitlin Sweeney. She came from Notre Dame. Um, Jared Burton, who's a graduate assistant in our program, and actually the is an ETSU grad. He's he's uh, been experienced athlete monitoring both from as an athlete as well as as a coach and sports scientist um I mentioned tanner cobb who is is a part-time doc student in our program um and and then also football and ben's basketball uh are pro we've probably been working with football since the summer and really we've, we've kind of started with a couple things and i think that it's it's been a bit you know i mentioned our lab isn't completely ready yet and and so We've been trying to provide more portable things as, as we can. So we have traveling. We have uh, my, my doc student, Mike DeLong, has, has, uh, is in charge of the traveling force plates from we have a couple different weight rooms with Olympic sports and then uh, like football had, had jump testing yesterday. And so when they when they have jump testing, we have two sets. We bring both so we they can get them get through them faster. Um, we're really kind of in the early phases of. One, we started with, and, and I think that this is a, a recommendation I would make to anybody is just starting out with sports science, start small and go bigger. It's much easier to do this than try to backpedal and say, oh, well, that was probably too much or we didn't get much out of that. Um, 
So one of the things we first started doing, and Josh Hagan was a great help with this, was, um, okay, you, you already have these devices, Let's and, and you've been collecting data, is there a way that we can kind of retrospectively go back and, and, and take a look at that and, and, and provide you some analysis and, and some feedback? And then also, if you've been doing things, just because there's this new opportunity of these people, there's several of them, and they're, they're, they're sports scientists, and they have a lab, and, and there's new devices we haven't used. Well, if, if things were working or you, you know, you, you're comfortable with certain things, you probably shouldn't change it. And so we, we really started off with, I would say, added a wellness questionnaire and got teams to be consistent with that. Most of the teams are very, very good with that. Um, vertical jump testing on a, on a periodic basis, we're kind of shrinking that down a little bit for the uh, just uh, hand, hands-on hip uh, unloaded condition. And once the lab is open, we'll have more of a sort of comprehensive Start with the standard battery of testing, bring them in, um, you know, descriptive information, which kind of going back to the big picture stuff, I think that that's something that is sometimes missed in terms of like, okay, this this athlete has, you know, we, we, we've, we fall in love with like ratios and uh, this athlete doesn't uh, get much out of their, uh, you know, stretch shortening cycle, the centricutalization ratio, whatever ratio you want to use, but yeah, but they out jump everybody. Um, I think that look at looking at like this is what say your freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors look like. Maybe split them into first two years, second two years. Are there ones that kind of stand out for a whole bunch of various reasons? You start with descriptive stuff, stuff, and I think that oftentimes you're kind of telling coaches maybe with different variables and val, you know, the types of. Uh, Tests they might not be familiar with, but you're often telling them things that they probably have some idea of already. Like, oh yeah, I, I knew so and so has been getting better and developing, and so and so hasn't. Um, but so that's more of the uh, sort of periodic, like ISO pole strength testing, jump testing, uh, hydration, whatever it might be, and then uh, getting into the day to day. And I think that eventually it will be a situation of. Connecting the day to day, um, some of the more boring stuff of like volume load in the weight room and um, quantif- trying to help them quantify their training. You know, I, I think some of the biggest help with a lot of this stuff is just manpower, right? Like if you have a hundred some athletes, um, you're you're lucky to maybe get like a good system of okay, this is everybody's sheets from today. This is all the all the weights they did and the sets and reps and exercises. And if I need to go back and refer to it, I know there are some uh, technologies that make some of that uh, more more efficient. This has been my introduction to some of that stuff. Uh, Dr. Hagen uses SmarterBase. Um, but uh, something like that, like students can be very, very helpful for the boring. You know, taking the sheets, putting them into Excel, putting them into SmarterBase to where um, you know, there's some nice graphs and illustrations that, that go along with that. Um, and even, I, I think that, uh, so Josh Feldkamp, the men's uh, strength coach for, or excuse me, strength coach for women's soccer, uh, with some other sports as well, but for women's soccer, I, Mike DeLong will tell you his, his help with, with them in the fall was basically start and stop on catapult so Josh could go coach. He's, you know, he, he wants to be able to do that, and then he's was overseeing, and anybody can do that. Mike would tell you, um, 
so I think early on, it's it's kind of all hands on deck and providing the the, the people and, and the resources, um, building those those relationships. And I think early on, a system and a, and a structure is really important. So periodic standard battery, more sort of chronic monitoring, helping with the more acute stuff. And I think early on getting a process where the, the athletes get used to and comfortable with it, it becomes routine. Um, things aren't, you know, aren't changing all the time for them. It just becomes part of their day, part of what they do. They become comfortable with it and understand at least some of, of what uh, we're trying to do. Um, and, and then, and then also I would add to that, I think there's a massive benefit early on to that structure and system education, you know, so not just collecting stuff, even if there's something that right away, you can't make some big, big recommendation to a coach. And I think usually you should probably avoid doing that. Um, this is why we're doing this. This is what this stuff means. And to, to go back to the ETSU years, and I know that they've actually kind of upgraded some of their efficiency with like the uh, technology and making more things digital. But basically for, I'd say my whole time at ETSU, the, the typical process was um, most teams probably tested, I would say four times a year in the lab. There were a couple that, that tested more. And like I worked with weightlifters and my dissertation on weightlifters, they tested pretty much every training block, but they go into the lab they do standard battery, isopoles, jumps. There would be some sports-specific stuff, like so this sprint agility stuff, endurance tests maybe. Um, and Doc, Doc Stone called it a mini thesis. Uh, you know, pretty much an all-night, overnight, maybe two days. Uh, analyze everything. You know, the, the longer you, you've been testing the team, the, the more goes into it because you start to have to separate, you know, returners and newcomers and second and third years and fourth years, you know, um, and you give them the paper um, as soon as you possibly can. And within a week, ideally, we would do a, a PowerPoint presentation. So I give like when I was a strength coach for, for baseball, I give the coach coaches the, the uh, like the data write up from the lab testing. And then we give them a couple of days to, to go over it. Um, and then we would have a PowerPoint presentation. And I know that, you know, I think especially with some of the things I, I see now with uh, cloud-based keeping data, uh, well, that's not very efficient. And, and, it, and it, no, it's not. <laughs> but uh, I think there's a major education piece to that. And I mentioned that ETSU is, I, I think, for most of the teams has kind of gotten away from that to where they do some things that are more cloud-based and get the data to the coaches quicker. But, you know, those are coaches that have been doing that, been involved in that process for long enough that... They don't need to be told what isometric rate of force development is anymore. They're probably tired of being told what it, what it is in the, in the piece of paper in the presentation. So they're, they're comfortable with the metrics and the testing, and they're very familiar with what things mean and why we're doing it. And um, I think that is a great way to start. Be, be descriptive, educational, um, build, build relationships, and you, know, you get comfortable with people, they get comfortable with you then eventually you might be able to start making some some recommendations. 100%. And, and I love all of that. And I think that you guys also have another pretty awesome program that you're heading uh, to allow coaches to really dive into the coaching aspect in an area that I think is still underpopulated when it comes to strength and conditioning coaches. 
Yeah, um, I, I uh, thank you. I, I oversee a, a graduate assistant program where we have three GAs that each head up a uh, strength finishing at a high school. So we have three high schools in the county, Mont- Montgomery County. And I really lucked out with this. I uh, I walked into it and asked if it had been it already existed. And they said, would you like to take this on? You have a strength finishing background. And I was like, this this is amazing. Uh, you know, we have so many problems and this has been my, I, I knew the problems existed beforehand, but um, really getting into the world of high school athletics and high school training conditioning and even just coaching. Um, the, the, the program I got, I got here inheriting a group. And so, uh, you know, master's degree, two years. So it's two year GA. Um, walked into that situation and really tried to get a lay of the land the, the, the first year. Um, and since then, I, I think that attendance for uh, sports has gone way up. I think that it used to be more of like a kind of open weight room situation with coach versus team in, team out, next team in, next team out. And um, really trying to provide some structure and oversight. Um, a couple things I've, I've learned that I think are important is um, it tends to be a little bit harder, I would say, to recruit in that uh, just different kind of network, different type of world. And I'll, I quickly saw when I got here, like, uh, you know, we're putting the GA thing up on the academic website. Well, that's not where strength coaches go, you know. So calling the strength coaches, I know, asking, do you, do you have uh, anyone you think would be a, a good fit for this? And, and then from there... Providing oversight in in a way and helping provide structure where you know two years is not a long time and and so if you have you could have a, have an athlete that will have had three strength coaches you know if they hit it right or wrong I guess uh, during their four years of high school and so very important that we have some sort of system I mean I try not to uh, be overbearing with with the, the management of that but at the same time can't have completely different philosophies and, and ways of, of doing things and that changing all the time. Programs need to be stored and saved and given to the next coach. Um, this year, I've even upped even more than I did the first time around, so I'm bringing in my second group now. Um, they'll be starting in the summer. I have all of those figured out who's going to be starting at each of the schools, and we started a, a much longer transition than previous um, it was kind of like uh, coach leaves, new coach shows up. So no overlap, no getting to know the athletes with the previous coach. Um, and so, yeah, it has been an incredibly rewarding thing um, to be able to provide mentorship to young developing strength coaches. has really been great. And I, the, probably the best comparison I, I give to this is uh, to the high school situation. Is it's, it's probably most like if you – became a head coach at a division two or division three school and you were the only coach and it's your first job full-time job because you know if you're a college GA you walk into that situation usually it's something to the effect of okay you're going to assist these two teams with this strength coach has been with that team for a while maybe you'll you'll oversee one team but you're going to be in a weight room where there's going to be those the strength staff is going to be around um you're you're told what the schedule is um, you're told the coach is told you're going to be working with them. It is a very much you you walk into that high school and you got to get to know the coaches. You got to come up with the, the schedule. And you're you know when it comes to dealing with coaches, you're not dealing with unlike the Division Two example. Even those coaches are mostly full time coaches. Um, and so 
you know, that's what they're thinking about most of the time versus teachers and volunteers where they're going out of their way just to, to, to coach those teams. And so there are so many moving parts. Um, I, I would have never said this when I first started, but if I have sort of good, good strength coach and maturity, professional organization, all of that, this is still important, but this is so incredibly important. And I, I think I even when I talk to the kids on the phone now, um, that's the first thing I'm looking for. Because um, you kind of tell them you have to be professionally stubborn. You might call a coach and ask why their team didn't come to the weight room or, you know, ask them to, to come to the weight room so their team can see that the coach cares about it. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't always happen. And so you got you to you need to deal with those situations. But, yeah, it, it takes someone that's a bit beyond their years in terms of uh, maturity and, and, and professionalism. I love it, and that's an absolutely sensational program. And you know, the, the old days, the, the old days when we used to get thrown into the middle and have like three or four teams and help with one or two. It's not the way that it is anymore. So the opportunity to actually get thrown into the fire and learn the how the world really works yeah. is, is priceless. Yeah, I know several coaches that are now at Division One. In fact, I mentioned Jared Burton, who's who's a, a GA here now. He was the head strength coach at UVA Wise. Um, you, I'm sure you know Chad Workman from from VCU, who's now in North Carolina. He said the same type of thing. Like both of them had been, were head strength coaches at Division Two, and both of them that experience was by far where they learned the most in terms of it's all the things that when you want to be a strength coach and when you're doing internships and maybe maybe even an entry level type position that you don't deal with and. You, there's really no way to kind of, I think you can only get thrown into it, right? You're either, maybe you have a mentor or a boss that lets you see, you know, pulls back the curtain a little bit and kind of lets you in on it. But, you know, that that takes a lot of time. There's politics and all sorts of things involved in that. And, um, yeah, it is a it is a great, great learning tool. And it's, it's also nice to sort of just, I almost feel like a strength coach that doesn't uh, do strength and conditioning in that, you know, all of the oversight with like the programs and the teaching, it's not just in the classroom of, uh, you know, this is a hypothetical annual plan. It's like these, these, these are going out and, and being done and, and coming back and looking at, you know, whether it's testing and uh, even just in, it pops in my head. I, the first thing I tell them is uh, most basic, most basic, most important uh, monitoring attendance keep keep those records no doubt about it and i think that's a great spot to get us out on doc can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today this is absolutely awesome i appreciate you having me thanks jay yeah well thanks doc we'll be in touch real soon see ya. see ya and a huge thanks to dr guy hornsby for spending the time with us today guys open honest candid sharing and a, and a man who's you know learned from from some of the best in the in the world at what we do down there at east tennessee state and, and really working to, to build an awesome program up there in Morgantown. I can't thank Dr. Hornsby enough for, for all that he's doing and, and for spending the time and being so open, honest, and candid and sharing with us. Doc, truly appreciate it. Keep up the great work, man. Uh, it's, it's definitely sensational, the program that you guys have going up there. Really excited to hear about it. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, guys, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.